Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Welcome to this week's episode titled Ecotourism, a Double-Edged Sword. My name is Callie. And I'm Andy. And I'm Madison. So before we dive into today's topic, I wanted to tell you guys a story. Let me paint the scene. Imagine you are in Rwanda, and as you look around, you can see the large forested hills of Volcano National Park. You're standing with eight other tourists, each one covered from head to toe, hoping to avoid the painful stinging nettle that lines the forest floor. As sweat drips down the back of your neck, the reality of the experience you're about to go on hits you. You are about to trek in the forest and go meet a family of wild mountain gorillas. The anticipation makes the brief introduction seem like a lifetime. The ranger tells you about the troop, the individuals, and that you should remain 10 meters away for their safety and yours. This was the experience I got to have two years ago. It was easily one of the best of my life, but to my surprise, despite the fact there weren't many rules, the one rule that was explicitly stated to stay 10 meters away was not followed. The ranger took us within touching distance and a juvenile gorilla smacked the back of my leg and ran away hoping to play with me. In theory, I imagine you guys are sitting there thinking, holy crap, this sounds amazing. But the truth is the second I got home and started to play the day back in my head, I realized there were so many issues with it. Why was the 10 meter rule broken when we know the vast majority of diseases are transmissible from humans to gorillas? What would the consequences have been if one of the gorillas attacked someone? What were the underlying issues causing the ranger to want to take us so close to the gorillas when they were supposed to be there to protect them? So that brings us to today's topic on ecotourism. To answer my questions on that trip, I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Mike Cranfield. And if you don't already know who he is, you should. Dr. Cranfield was the director of gorilla doctors for 15 years. He was one of the first vets to embrace One Health for Great Ape Conservation. He has done a plethora of research on topics including zoonotic disease transmission to mountain gorillas, to malaria and penguins, and was chief veterinarian at Baltimore Zoo, to name a few of the incredible things he's accomplished in his career. I recently got to touch base with him because who better to speak on the complexities of ecotourism than someone who spearheaded it for 15 plus years. Here's what Dr. Cranfield had to say. It started off uh, to be a way to pay for guerrilla conservation, right? Because the government, governments, because it's three countries, really couldn't afford it. And it was so wildly successful that it started supporting the countries. I mean, you know, they're making $400 million a year in Rwanda, right? 30,000 wow. people go into the forest a year, and it's a very small park. And so, again, it's, it, 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 there's a couple things. One, it pays for some of the conservation in other parks. It pays the government uses the money to better the, the uh, initiatives of the country. And they have 5% of the permit income goes back to the local community. And so the local community actually uh, benefits from the gorilla conservation. 
The other thing is that it, when you get 30,000 people visiting and it's such a magnificent experience that they become ambassadors. So it's very positive in that manner. However, it keeps escalating in cost to go see them. So it tends to be very rich clientele that go there now. Mm-hmm. And they they tend not to, I mean, they, they go because it's sort of an exciting experience, not necessarily because they really love gorillas or they really know a lot about conservation or, or whatever. And so they don't tend to follow the guidelines that are set out by the trackers and the guides and stuff. And if you if you look at it, the, the, the people surrounding the parks, the regular people, make about a dollar a day. So they're they're I mean they're in poverty, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really poor. So when they go out with these guests, if they're if they're porters, right, and carrying their bags and stuff, they'll, I mean automatically they'll get twenty five bucks. I mean that's yeah. if they do a bad job, right? I mean, some people will tip like a hundred bucks if they're slipping in the mud and the guy's really helping them and stuff like that. And so they, what they've done is they've started rotating the porters so that more and more people in the community get to have some of that income. That said, that puts a lot of novel people into the forest, right? Mm-hmm. So, so now we have this highly endangered species that's totally susceptible to human diseases. And we started an employee health program for the trackers and guides, but we couldn't keep up with the porters because there's so many porters now because of this rotation thing, right? Yeah. And yeah. we know there's, it was, we wrote a paper, I think it was around 2010 about metanumavirus, human metanumavirus killing a couple of gorillas. And it's not, it's not really uh, rocket science. I mean, there's been a lot of great viral diseases from people, and then they usually get a rip-roaring pneumonia after that from their own uh, flora of the, the respiratory system. And so, so the potential is great. You know, I mean, the potential for disease is great, and and we've had uh, Ebola. I'm within 50 miles of the park. And now with coronavirus, I mean, the, the, the Atlanta Zoo and San Diego Zoo both have had outbreaks within their captive gorillas. And so we know that it can affect them. And so uh, I almost feel like it's, it's almost out of control at this point. Like the governments count on that money so much that they'll almost cut corners at this point, which puts the gorillas in danger, you know? And so if, if you're talking about mountain gorillas, it's a really sensitive thing. If you were talking about moose or, you know, some stock where there wasn't a, a big chance of zoonotic disease, then I, then I, you know, I think it's a different story. Um, and... You know, it, it it's here to stay. I mean, it's not going to go away. Uh, and and they they say they're up 
putting the price to try and keep the numbers down rather than expanding the number of people that go see the gorillas and stuff. But um, it's really risky business. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. And so I haven't heard of any COVID outbreaks in any of the troops, but have there been any? No. Today, well, we've had some respiratory outbreaks and we're... So the way we try to figure out what's causing it is we take fecals, right? Because they cough and swallow. Yeah. So if you do PCR on the fecals, often you'll there'll be bits of, of virus there that will show up. But uh, the lab is so focused on humans at this point they're, they're, they're not going to do... First of all, there's no wildlife labs. We've been asked to set up a wildlife lab, and Gorilla Doctors is sort of in the middle of that. Um, but there's, we can't get the fecals run in, in country. And so they have done PCR on swabs of animals that were immobilized for another reason, right? And they haven't found any. But that that really doesn't mean anything, actually, at this point. Okay. Now, rather than having about 100 people a day go up because of COVID, they're making people test before they leave their home country, test and quarantine in Rwanda, and, and, and right now there's probably only about 20 people a day going up. So it's actually a bit of a break for the gorillas. Yeah, okay, so, wow. Yeah, so, so there's a fair amount written about it. Um, I don't know what to tell you. It's a, it's a quandary because I, I think it's a necessary evil, actually. Wow, that was such a cool insight. Yeah, it was really impactful to hear somebody's perspective who has contributed so much to conservation. I'm very grateful Dr. Cranfield took the time to help break down this complex issue. And I feel like after talking to him, I realized it has so many more layers than I even thought. What do you guys think were some of the positive takeaways ecotourism can have on conservation efforts? Well, one of the things I noticed was beyond the immediate support staff in the park, you're also contributing to the local community since a portion of the profits go directly to them and you're paying the porters to carry your stuff, so this program is helping create jobs and reduce impoverishment. These excursions are also a way to allow people to connect with nature in a native environment, which hopefully fosters a new appreciation, not only for these animals, but their habitat as well. My hope would be that people gain perspective on our impact on the world around us and extrapolate that idea to start seeing what changes are happening around the globe and take the climate crisis more seriously. Yeah, I agree. Those were a lot of the same positives I took away as well. But what do you think happens when we push the limits of interaction between humans and wildlife? Are we taking it too far? Well, I believe unequivocally that we open doors for zoonotic disease transmission, like Dr. Cranfield was talking about with Ebola and COVID. But there are so many other diseases like E. coli and Giardia, for example, that could be applicable. Then we start thinking about our impact on the behavior of wildlife, as in, are we altering animal lifestyles to become dependent on humans and that interaction? I'm not sure, but we've already created this culture of dependability on the income these excursions provide that could have disastrous consequences if gorilla trekking tours stopped. 
And due to the monetary benefits of these tours, the government is not likely to limit tours or enforce rules for the sake of the gorillas and the environment because the potential for income is so great and impoverishment is so prevalent. Yeah, I think that emphasizes the point that it's really important to be a responsible ecotourist because if the rules aren't enforced very well, the responsibility falls on you to respect nature. I know we've been talking a lot about gorillas, and you guys are probably wondering how this might apply to you. Now more than ever, thanks to a global pandemic, people are looking for ways to reconnect with each other in the outdoors and with the natural landscapes around them. For some, this means travel to local natural spaces and walks or hikes on trails. While for others, this led to backpacking trips, climbing expeditions, and wildlife watching expeditions. What you see in nature and encounter on the trail can be really empowering. These experiences open our eyes to the changes occurring on our landscapes and the challenges associated with mitigating these changes. I recently went to Rocky Mountain National Park and the elk were beginning to rub. It's such a cool sight. Bulls bugling, chasing cows, and bulls sparring with each other. I felt like I could sit there and watch them for hours, and yet just sitting from the side of the road didn't feel like enough. It was really tempting to want to get closer and observe and to take a better picture or video, but we had to keep reminding ourselves that we should try to stay as quiet and observational as possible because these animals were exhibiting their natural behavior in their natural habitats, and we were just passing through as observers. Oftentimes, we're captivated by things that we see, and we want to explore them further, but in doing so, we might be pushing animals unnaturally, habituating them to the presence of people, or inadvertently training them to alter their natural behaviors. To avoid in doing these things, you can be a more responsible eco-tourist in the great outdoors by following a few tips. First, maintain a safe distance from wildlife and learn about appropriate ways to handle wildlife interactions on the trail, at your campsite, or even in your backyard. And if you don't know what that is, go ahead and stop by the visitor center. They'll have lots of information to share with you. Yeah, Callie, that's a great point. I was also just reading a study the other day that analyzed over 800 tourist social media photos from gorilla trekking in the Congo. They found that only 3% kept the recommended distance of 7 meters from the gorillas. What are your thoughts on social media and wildlife viewing? Everyone wants to get that Instagram-worthy picture, and you're most definitely going to want to share those pictures. Just remember to keep your distance and consider using less geotags on your post to prevent overcrowding of natural sites or too many human interactions in places where wildlife frequent. Lastly, if you do choose to book a tour through an ecotourism company, research the company and make sure that they work to engage the local community and that they provide a safe and educational experience for you as a tourist. So the big takeaway from this episode is that exploring nature is a great way to get in touch with the outdoors, learn more about wildlife, and see the impacts of climate change on the environment. Just remember, everyone has a role to play in preserving the integrity of nature and the future of our natural world. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast. Thank you.